Gabriel Badbol and you are listening to the World Tour podcast of Cybersecurity Experts. The first series is dedicated to women in cybersecurity. In this series, I talk to women in cybersecurity who have a great impact on this community and make this industry more inclusive. Today, I'm talking to Chloe Mesdagi. Chloe is a security researcher advocate. She has launched and is involved in many initiatives for women in cyber. Today, she will talk about this and also give some tips to non-profit on basic things to do to stay safe. Um, so basically, I believe insecure researchers are the everyday heroes. So in a sense that I want to do whatever I can in my power to make sure that they have all these opportunities for sharing and disclosing things without having to fear about prosecution. So I'm a huge advocate for safe harbor. I believe it's definitely the first steps forward to get all companies on board with protecting secure researchers that are submitting vulnerabilities that's preventing them from having breaches in the future. If you want to follow Chloe, she is on many social media platforms and has a website, chloemisdagi.com. To support this podcast and continue to hear about cybersecurity experts, follow me on social media or subscribe to this blog, gabrielb.fr slash blog, or subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can also comment it and share it. World Tour Podcast of Cybersecurity Expert, Series 1, Episode 4. So thank you for joining us today. Can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Okay, so my name is Chloe Mastagi. I'm a security researcher advocate. Um, I'm also one of the co-founders of Women in Security. However, I like to use the phrase partner since there's many of us that founded WOSEC all together. And if for those that don't know WOSEC, it's Women in Security. Um, I also founded an organization called Women Hackers, which is basically it's a private Slack group where women around the world, um, basically all levels of hacking skills, can join together, um, community-based, and also to learn technical skills as well. Can you tell us what attracted you to cybersecurity? That's a great question. Um, to be completely honest, um, I kind of just fell into it. I basically was a management consultant, and I was traveling all the time, working all hours, And I kind of got lonely because you're traveling a long time and you're also working ridiculously long hours. So I kind of miss being in a work office, work culture, getting to know my colleagues and all that instead of doing project to project base. Um, and so one day I let I started letting recruiters know that I was open and available for taking a full-time position. And it was that moment that one of them came back to me asking, have, you, have I ever heard of a company called Kenna Security. And that was when I was like, no, never heard of them. Like, well, have you ever thought about going into cybersecurity? I'm like, huh, no, but you know what? That looks really interesting. And then I like, then when I got hired there, I just kind of went down this like rabbit hole of information of various stuff like vulnerability management to like bug bounty, ethical hacking and safe harbor. Um, but I also started uh, reading about the statistics about women and, in InfoSec. And that's how, like, it attracted me a little bit more, in a sense, because the community is it's just fantastic community, to be honest. Can you tell us what is a security researcher advocate? 
Yeah. Um, so a secure researcher advocate, which is what I do, is basically trying to bring rights to hackers. So by saying secure researchers, it's like um, a softer word of saying hackers, but ethical hackers. So people that every day are looking for vulnerabilities to keep you and me safe and the rest of the world. Um, so basically, I believe in secure researchers are the everyday heroes. So in a sense that I want to do whatever I can in my power to make sure that they have all these opportunities for sharing and disclosing things without having to fear about prosecution. So I'm a huge advocate for safe harbor. I believe it's definitely the first steps forward to get all companies on board with protecting secure researchers that are submitting vulnerabilities that's preventing them from having breaches in the future. So um, I think that's one of the things, especially since like 60% of secure researchers, they will not report a vulnerability because they're afraid of being prosecuted. And this was a stat that actually Amy Elzari found when she started going into deep diving into safe harbor as a potential um, idea that we can actually implement. So it's a fantastic research and she's done such a great job on it. Um, so safe harbor is one of the other things that, you know, it's one of the items that I do talk about, but besides safe harbor, I also try to push for more diversity and inclusion. I believe that, you know, with all diverse backgrounds, they're able to find other vulnerabilities that other people can't that are majority. So I've been definitely pushing for more women to enter the field. Um, and the reason for that is because, you know, the first few people that discovered bugs were actually women. So I think it's very important to have women in the field. And especially since it's only 4% of women are hackers, I feel like we need to change that statistic. So that's one of the other things that I do as an advocate is that, and also to get more people into the hacking world and the culture. Um, I also try to push out a bug bounty as one of those ways, because it's a great way to kind of learn how to uh, pen test or how to up your skills when you're pen testing if it's your full-time job and also get paid for that. So I think that's very important is like imagine doing an internship. I've done a lot of internships when I was like in college and they were not paid. Uh, but now one could just actually get paid by upping their skills. And I think that's really cool. And do you think there's still a lot of work to do with businesses to um, like uh, achieve the goal that you've set up as a security researcher advocate? Yeah, so I mean, um, the good news is that you have a team of people in security that are like, I want to promote Safe Harbor, but how do I get other people who don't know the secure researcher feel like I do um, to get on board of Safe Harbor? So trying to convince your board um, to go Safe Harbor, that tends to be kind of tricky. Um, but I feel like there, the steps are moving forward and more and more people are getting to bug bounty um, in companies as well. Um, but also it's just, it's a necessity to have a vulnerability disclosure program now to keep everyone safe and your, your customers or you could say clients safe. Um, so I think that's one of the things. The other item is I get people contacting me almost on a daily basis from various companies asking how can I get more women into the field how do I convince my board to hire more women and that's like an ongoing conversation because if your board is pretty much all men you're going to have an issue when trying to get more women into the field 
but there's a lot of allies that are coming more and more out, um, which I'm very happy about because about two years ago, I didn't see any allies really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I see plenty of uh, men coming up and talking to me after I give talks or they will contact me via Twitter or LinkedIn saying, I need to change the situation here. Um, and it's usually because they have there's only like one other woman on their team or they have no women on their team and they find it kind of strange to have. Um, especially in today's age where it's 50, 50 are men and women. So, um, so yeah, I think there's definitely motions going forward. Um, especially when some in CFPs, um, a lot of people have been accepting the diversity talk that I tend to do on that front. And also they've been taking the safe Harbor talk. So that's showing that there's definitely a change here. And, um, I think that we're just starting it and the push is just going to get more and more. So especially like DEF CON this year, I saw more women than last year. Um, Black Hat, you know, I saw more women there than last year. RSA uh, conference um, 2019 this year, they did a phenomenal job trying to get more equality when it came to talks and also to provide uh, resources to women that are attending RSA. So I thought that was really, it's a great motion forward right now. That's good to hear. And also, could you tell us what would be the basic settings for for someone who wants to begin in in big bounties? Yeah, um, so I always recommend to people. Um, there's a couple books. There's the Web Applications Handbook. Um, there's also Pete Yorowski. He wrote Web Hopping 101. Um, so books are always very useful. I like to um, use books as a reference, but also like Bug Crowd University, there's some great videos, um, curriculum for people to start learning and also hacker one also have a good curriculum set out. So there's definitely, uh, ways to get into it, but the first, and uh, the first thing to do is start, just start like, uh, you know, start an account on hacker one or bug crowd and just start going at it. Um, and usually, you know, in the first like three months, you might not find anything or you'll find duplicates or things are out of scope, but just don't keep, just keep going. Cause even the top performers on both platforms, they actually sometimes don't find anything for weeks and that's just normal. Um, so it's, it's all about just being, you know, having that passion to do it and also the drive. Um, it does take like, you know, a good number of months to get into it. Um, and then once they're very much involved, um, I definitely recommend checking out uh, Bug Bounty Forum. Um, it's a Slack group that um, basically all these hackers come together helping each other on bug bounties. So it's, it's quite a, it's a really good resource to have as well. Great, thank you. What are the basic uh, things that a nonprofit should do to stay safe? For instance, I mean, you're, uh, you've worked on, on this kind of uh, things. Uh, do you have any advice? Yes. Okay. So nonprofits, unfortunately, they, they hardly have resources usually when it comes to security to protection. And that's literally because they exist be- due to donations. Um, and so one of the things is, is that having a security personnel can be quite tricky. So what happens is that nonprofits actually fall into a, basically a trap. Um, for hackers and by hackers um, these type of hackers I like to just really put in that these are more um, black hat hackers so people that are 
are out for getting data to use for whatever purposes um, that are against your, your rights, pretty much. So having a 2FA is a really important feature. It's very easy to set up, and I feel like um, everyone should probably have that by now. Um, another thing that a lot of security teams or lack of security teams can also do is make sure there's some sort of email for security submission. So any vulnerability um, disclosures, in a sense, they can submit an email to um, that's listed on the website because sometimes um, ethical hackers will find a vulnerability and they want to report it and it could take hours to sometimes days to be able to find the contact. So it's really important to have that contact really there. Um, going back to 2FA, also making sure your passwords. Let's just talk a little bit more about passwords. Make sure they're lengthy. And by that, I mean, make sure it's like definitely over 20 characters is really important. Change it monthly as well. But there's also this thing called a password manager that would be very handy for most people to take on. Um, other than passwords, one of the other key features that we all need to discuss in a sense is making sure there's security training involved. So for example, um, malicious links are usually sent by emails. So making sure people are aware, do not click on the font on links that you don't know where they come from. Even if it's from someone at work that sends you a link, look into it before clicking on it. Other things is sometimes they could send a PDF file or a Word doc. Make sure that you check in ahead of time with that person to make sure that they actually sent you that file. Because a lot of times what happens is they'll get into someone else's email account at work or at the organization and then send an email to another person in the organization. Sometimes trying to climb up a ladder in a sense by going to the highest person they can on board. So it's very important um, to focus on passwords overall, have some sort of vulnerability disclosure program, or at least an email for security submissions. Um, and that's probably the basics that they can do right now. And Honestly, um, all this doesn't cost that much money. So it's relatively inexpensive to do. Great. Okay. Um, so as you said before, um, you are very active in the inclusion of women. Um, so you've launched several initiatives you mentioned earlier. Um, and I know uh, that uh, WOSEC is already one year old. And uh, how would you like it to be in one year from now? Oh, you know what I would love to see is a 50-50. <laughs> but having that one year, let's be realistic, is very hard and challenging. Um, so, I mean, one of the reasons that I got with uh, Tanya Jenka for WOSEC was when I found out about the 11% stat um, that, you know, 11% of women work in InfoSec. And that was really disheartening to know because, you know, my previous jobs were in fields where it was like at least 40% were women. So going to a field where there's like hardly any representation, it can leave one very isolated and alone for women. So I think it's very important for women to be more aware of various different organizations. So in a sense, like for WOSEC, I really hope that more and more women create chapters all around the world in a sense, so then all women don't feel isolated and alone in this field, because I know what it's like to feel like that, and it's not fun, uh, especially if you're like, dealing with discrimination or harassment or assault. It's really important to have a group of women behind you, as well as having men advocates. But women can really understand you, I think, to the full T majority of the time. 
And the other thing is women hackers that was actually created because of the 4% stat. So according to a, a basically a research paper called inside the mind of a hackers about only 4% of hackers are women. So if you think about that, that's kind of sad to think that there's only like 4% of women are hackers. I think we should have more than that since women were pretty much the very beginning in the hacking space. So having more women, I think, is very crucial. And I hope within one year's time, uh, women hackers double its size in a year from now. And WOSEG definitely doubles um, or more in the next year as well when it comes to members. I hope so too. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for women in cyber? To yeah, sure. Um, well, I like to tell my personal story because I feel like that tends to resonate with women. Uh, about uh, a year and a half ago, I almost left the InfoSec space. What happened was that I was writing a blog about the lack of women in InfoSec, believe it or not. <laughs> and at that moment, I interviewed various different women in the field. And at that moment, I didn't really like digest the information I was getting. So I wrote this blog for International Women's Day and like it went through one year and went out through the other. But then I went to RSA conference 2018 and I was sitting in this room of like maybe somewhere between 200 and 300 people. It was just a lot of people and I'll be real. Um, but there was only two other women besides myself in that entire room. And I remember looking at them and I'm like, please say you're not an assistant. Please say you're not an assistant. And they both were. And I remember walking out of that room and there's this corridor on the left side, there's a men's restroom and on the right side, there's a women's restroom and the men's restroom has this long line, like snaked down the hallway and wrapped around the corridor and the women's restroom didn't have a line on the outside. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe the line's inside. So I opened the door and there's not a single person in there. And I was in disbelief and something just felt really weird. And then later that day I went to my hotel and I was looking in the mirror and taking off my makeup. And at that moment, like, like this huge wave of emotion hit me as if someone like lifted this like cloth from my eyes, or should I say blindfold over my eyes to be real. Um, and I just broke down crying on the bathroom floor because suddenly I realized everything that those women were telling me when I was writing that blog post were actually happening to me at the same time. Mm. And since then, um, I, of course, during that time, I was like, that's it. If, why should I stay in this space if there's no women here and I have no support? Um, one of my friends told me to go and take a look at a conference called Day of Security, which is in San Francisco every year. So I went and there was like 200 women in there and suddenly I felt like I wasn't alone. And I think that was the tipping point of my career because realizing that, hey, there's actually a community here of women that um, are fierce and are willing to support you that's empowering especially when it's majority men so I basically pushed forward and I women I started telling them my story next thing I know they they flew me out to Las Vegas um, I got to do my first ever talking point and then I got to meet some great allies as well and in the end that it, it all my career just started doing really, really well because I found this great support network. But the thing is that when it comes to women in this field, if they're 
isolated or feel alone, just know that they're not alone. And I always tell women, even men, to be honest, that if they ever feel isolated or alone and feel like no one's there to listen to always DM me on Twitter, uh, my DMs are always open. And the reason for that is that I don't want anyone, no matter what gender you are, no one should feel alone in the InfoSec community. It's small and it seems to be very great with other people in a sense that they're comforting. If I ever need something, someone will reach out. Um, and I am so proud to be part of that community. Um, the other advice I have is to try to find two mentors. So one that's technical and one emotional. Um, in a sense, like I, men also need to have this too. It's not just for women. Uh, but having someone who could be their technical trainer um, to make sure that they are always one level above. Um, and also someone who's going to be that person you can call at any time if you need to talk to someone. That's going to be very important. Uh, when it comes to conferences, my advice for women is never go alone in a sense. Don't go alone to events. Try to have someone with them. Um, and the reason I say that is because I've heard too many stories of assaults at conferences and I myself, I've experienced two assaults at conferences. So I think it's really important to never kind of go alone when there's a drinking event late at night. Mm -hmm. So always making sure that there's someone there that you know, another woman or a guy that you can actually trust to be by your side is very critical. Um, and also to find out what the number is, if there is um, any like a goon or something at a conference. So then you can always have a contact number in a sense, if anything happens, you know, you can reach out to them. And I always tell anyone that if anything happens to you at any conference to DM me as well, and I will let them know about the situation. And if anyone needs to talk to someone, I'm always open as well. Um, and I will even connect them to resources that are necessary. Thank you. For you, what would be the ideal cyberspace in the, in, in, for computer security? I think that if all grandparents were safe from everything, <laughs> in other words, I think when everyone is safe, feels safe and knows they're safe, I think that is, that is ideal. But also for every organization in this world to participate in Safe Harbor, Um, and actually really do participate in Safe Harbor, even if they say they support Safe Harbor, for them to actually do it. And the reason for that is about 60% of ethical hackers won't disclose a vulnerability because they are worried about facing prosecution. So an ideal cyberspace, I think, in terms of computer security, I would definitely say you want to make sure that you have um, basically all these resources for ethical hackers to do what they love to do most, which is to keep everyone safe um, because they are the everyday heroes. So making sure that, you know, all organizations are on board of that, that's going to be great. And also for them to kind of change their perspective of what is a hacker. Because I think a lot of time uh, people have this idea that hackers are always bad people and they have like this, like, mm -hmm. Basically, they have a black hoodie on in front of their computer. Sometimes we're at the ski mask, like with uh, eyes cut out. Like it's kind of ridiculous, but you can find it almost on every story in the news. So something that changes that perspective as well. So I want people to be more aware of there are different types of hackers out there, but ethical hackers are the ones that have your back. And finally, this is a question I ask to everyone. Um, could you could you give us your own definition of cybersecurity? 
Sure. Um, I mean, the basic definition of cybersecurity is the state of like being protected against unethical hackers when they're trying to get a hold of like electronic data, like your sensitive data, like your social security number or your health records, um, and also any measures taken to achieve this. So keeping you know everyone safe in general. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. I was very happy to to have you here. Thank you. That's lovely to be here.